Welcome back to Intertwined Minds, a podcast that will shit in your neighbor's yard and blame it on the neighborhood dogs. So, getting your tar star tatted is quite pleasant. I proceeded to have mine tattooed to look like a maraschino cherry. Quite delicious. Where old Skip here went for the eyeball effect. So that way when he farts or clenches his ass too tight, it looks like he's winking at you from afar. We're your hosts, Tommy Ten Tits. And I'm Skip, and I don't know why I had to get the eye and you got a cherry. I don't know, uh, I don't know if I appreciate the connotation behind that. Like, I'm some kind of sicko. I like maraschino cherries. What does that, what does that do? That I like eyes? Do you like maraschino cherries? Yes. As much as me? Probably more. I don't think so. Yes, silence. <laughs> That's what I thought. Silence. I don't think so. So, this week, we are going to be doing an Unsolved Mystery episode, and it is uh, inspired by someone that, I want to say the captain, but it's Tommy Tentis this week, but I'll give him the captain for right now. The captain uh, told me to watch quite some time ago, and I just never got around to it till uh, like, maybe last week, Mr. Ballin on YouTube. He's on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, if you want to check him out. Just Mr. Ballin, or I think maybe some of his things was like John B. Allen, which is John Ballin, uh, on some of his socials. He does uh, Unsolved Mysteries and uh, a lot of different stories, but he tells it in story format, and he's a fucking great storyteller. And he really pulls me in. And I like Unsolved Mysteries and all the weird dark shit anyway, so I've been binge-watching his stuff. Yeah, Honestly, it's really good. It's one of the better, like, on YouTube. Like, I, I watch him on YouTube, but... One of the better channels that I watch, and uh, yeah, no, yeah, I think he's great. You guys should check him out. I think you guys would really like it. My guy tells the fuck out of a story. He really does, hey? My God. He can captivate an audience. Hey, did you listen to his own story? Like, his story from when he was 16? Uh, I listened to the ones where he was in, like, uh, the army. Did he, no, he told the story. He, it was the, his only, his one and only paranormal experience. Oh, I did not hear that one. It's 38 minutes long. It seemed like it's two seconds long. I was so disappointed when it ended. Oh, I'm going to yeah. have to listen to that one. I'll have to get you to show me it. It's so good. The dude the dude captivates me. He really does. He, he really does. He's a genuine, nice person. Oh, we don't know that. Well, we're assuming. I'm assuming he's a genuine, nice person. But he seems like pretty cool and pretty chill. Like someone you could sit down and have a beer with and like chat. Yeah, he's, honestly, I, uh, I've, been, I've been really appreciating listening to his stuff. So this episode is inspired by Mr. Ballin. Shout out to Mr. Ballin. Uh, we'll, we'll tag you on, uh, on our Instagram post. I'm, I will attempt to do that. Uh, big fans, and we appreciate you for your inspiration for this episode. Getting into it, we are going to be talking about Unsolved Mysteries. So uh, without further ado, I'd say we just jump into it. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is uh, D.B. Cooper, which I'm almost positive that 95% of the world has heard about. But if you never looked into it, it's a pretty fucking cool story. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, no. I... <laughs> Not really the input I was looking for. <laughs> hey, listen, I watch without a paddle. Like, you know, I know the shit. Okay. <laughs> I watched without a paddle. I know all the history. <laughs> anyway, so to get into it, D.B. Cooper... Uh, here we go. On November 24th of 1971, Dan Cooper was a passenger on Northwest Airlines Flight 305 from Portland to Seattle, which is about a 30-minute flight. 
he was described by crew and other passengers as a man in his mid-40s wearing a dark suit, black tie, and a pressed white shirt. He got on the plane, sat down, ordered a bourbon and soda, and lit a cigarette. Nothing out of the ordinary. He seemed like a very normal man. It's yes, I know what you're. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. He lit a cigarette on a plane. It's 1971. You were allowed to do that. Okay, I was gonna say ah, uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Pardon me. <laughs> I, I can't exactly hop on a plane and fucking light up a stogie and be like, oh, don't worry about me. Give me a bourbon and soda. <laughs> yeah, no. If you try that today, not working out great for you. No. They'll actually turn the fucking plane around and bring you back to where you were to arrest you. Yeah, because it's illegal. You can't... Yeah, but they can't land you to where you were going and arrest you? No, because that that doesn't fuck you as hard. You know, you you, <laughs> you get to where you're going anyway. Yeah, I, anyway, c- continue. You know what's I, funny? I remember when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember smoking on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I remember when I was a kid, when you used to go to restaurants, they used to ask you, smoking or non-smoking. I can't remember that. My my parents didn't used to take me to places a lot. Cause Probably because you were a shithead. Yeah, I used to break stuff and i get in a lot of trouble as a kid, so I didn't get to go to a lot of fancy places. <laughs> no, even like Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons, when I was a kid, we used to go in, because I, I lived in Alberta, and we used to go in and there was actually like a, a closed off room, like a glass closed off section of Tim Hortons where you could smoke in there. It was crazy. You'd never see that today, ever. It's crazy. I'd never seen it, no, because I wasn't allowed to go to places. <laughs> My wife still won't take me into... I, I don't know if you guys know the place, but... Uh, Stokes, the place that's always, for some fucking reason, going out of business, that never seems to go out of business. That's just a fucking ploy, Stokes. <laughs> that that sale you have on is just your regular price. You just claim that it's half off. I honestly think that, too. I Yeah. Anyway, still not allowed in that store. Anyway. Bull in a china shop. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so there was nothing out of the ordinary about the guy. No one, No one was alarmed when, you know, he got on this flight. So, uh, until, nothing was out of the ordinary, until he, uh, shortly after takeoff, he handed a note to a young flight attendant, and she didn't think much of it, she just assumed that it was probably, like, his phone number, or, like, you know, like, a dirty old man passing her a note. She was, like, in her 20s, like, early 20s, and he was in mid-40s, you know, she just thought, like, he's a fucking greaser, you know, he's, he's like, hey, you wanna fuck me in the back of the plane kind of note. What? I didn't know people passed that kind of notes on airplanes. He's lighting a cigarette. He's a wild card. Fine, fair enough. <laughs> so anyway, she didn't think much of it. So uh, she kind of uh, just kind of, you know, passed it off as like a normal thing until uh, she actually opened it <laughs> uh, because a little bit crazy, a little bit crazy when she opened it. So the exact words of the note aren't actually known. Like no one knows the exact wording because... After she had read the note, he took the note back. He, I guess, didn't want to alarm everybody else or whatever whatever it was, he took the note back. But uh, we do know the demands of the note. So the demands of the note were um, he wanted $200,000 in negotiable American currency. I don't quite know what that means, but I know he wanted $200,000. That's what I know. He wanted uh, four parachutes. And a fuel truck standing by in Seattle where they were uh, landing to refuel the plane. The flight attendant brought these demands to the captain, the pilot, and the airline's president authorized full cooperation because, you know, this guy's a wild card. Maybe in the note it said, if you don't give me my shit, I'll take this bitch down. He had a bomb, maybe. I got a bomb! Yeah, don't say that in an airport either. Yeah, no. No. Unless you got Tourette's. (laughs) Yeah, so they said, yeah, no problem cooperate all the other passengers had no idea that anything was going on 
because, I mean, it was a no pass. He didn't want to alert everybody and ensue panic. So they were told that they were having a delayed landing because uh, they had mechanical problems with the plane, which I think would ensue chaos and panic anyway, because if I'm on a fucking plane 30,000 feet in the air and someone says, we have mechanical problems, I might get a little panicked. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit panicked. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, so at 5.39 p.m., the plane landed. An airline employee delivered a cash-filled knapsack and parachutes. Cooper allowed all the passengers and two flight attendants to leave the plane. While the plane was being refueled, Cooper told his plans to the crew. He wanted a southeasterly course towards Mexico with one more refueling in Nevada. Two hours later, the plane took off. So he was he wanted to head towards Mexico with one more fuel one more fuel up in Nevada. That's what he told everybody. Which I'm assuming they probably relayed to, you know, command. Yeah. Right? So uh, two hours later, the plane takes off. But when it landed again in Reno, the stop in Nevada for refueling, uh, Cooper's absence was noticed. He was nowhere to be seen. Uh, it was pretty crazy. And his, yeah, his name was Dan Cooper. The reason that the story is called D.B. Cooper is because the people that they told to on the ground, the ground control or whatever, they mistook Dan for D.B. That's why he's called D.B. I never knew that, did you? No, I never knew that at yeah, all. Yeah, they just fucked it up. They thought they said D.B. Huh. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, so he was never seen or heard from again. No parachutes were ever found, and the ransom money was never used. So this dude pretty much hijacked a plane, asked for $200,000, four parachutes, and his plan was, I guess, he wanted to tell everybody that he was going to Mexico, he wanted to throw them off the trail. He jumped out of the plane halfway through, and never seen or heard from again, and never ever used the money that he demanded. Which is strange, to say the least. That is strange, but here's the thing. Who, like, obviously someone had to land the fucking plane, right? What, like when they got to Reno? Yeah. Yeah. So can't they be like, well, he jumped out at this point. Maybe their, maybe their uh, navigation wasn't as high tech as it is today and they didn't know where he jumped out over? I don't know. But, I mean, people knew roughly. People do know roughly where he jumped out. I mean, I mean, because these landing spots have been scoured looking for any remains and any, any sign of them, but nothing was ever found. Uh, to this point in the story. So, uh, yeah, he, he the ransom money was never used. So in 1980, a young boy on vacation with his family in Oregon found several packets of the ransom money. Uh, they knew because the serial numbers matched, right? That's how they knew it was never spent, and that's how they knew that this was the money that Dan D.B. Cooper had stolen. Huh. All They found, like, a bunch of packets of the money. And I'm wondering... Like, if you found a whack of fucking money in the woods... I'm not turning it in. <laughs> like, I get maybe maybe he's like... Maybe he knew the story. His parents did or whatever. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I think if I found a whack of money in the woods... Okay, let me put it to you this way. One, obviously this was a long time ago that this happened prior to when this kid found it, right? Uh, it was nine years later. Nine years later? Okay, so that money is definitely like... It's... Whatever it's concealed in, it's dirty. So you know it's not fresh, like, no friggin' cartel member went up there and stashed it in the woods be like, I'm coming back for this in two weeks. No, that never happened. So you're gonna be looking at that like, that's old money. That's my money. <laughs> Especially if you're a young kid, right? Right? Like, I don't know, I think I'd just, like, line my fucking pockets. I wanna <laughs> think I would, but I'd probably turn it in. I'd be that guy. I wanna think I would, because I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he stumbles. It's like, you imagine? Just put yourself in that boy's shoes. You walk out... Look at all this money. 
I can get a new bike. I can get two bikes. Bikes for everyone. You ever <laughs> seen Mr. Deeds? I know you have. <laughs> Ferraris for all. So yeah, anyway, when this young kid found the money, uh, and it was later found out that it was DB's money, a intense search of the area was launched, but no remains were ever found, no no anything, no parachutes, no remains, no nothing. The only thing they found was the money. Um the closest lead was actually in 2017 when a parachute strap was found at one of Cooper's possible landing sites. That was, and I mean, that could have been anything, right? I mean, in a, in a heavily wooded area, though, not many people are parachuting over it. So it's a good chance that it is, you know, has something to do with that, maybe. But who knows, really. Uh, but the hunt continues for any sign of whatever happened to DB Dan Cooper. And it's uh, still unsolved to this day. What if he like actually took some like some of the bags with money in it and fucking put parachutes on them and threw them out and like to send people off his trail? Yeah, he could have been walking through the fucking woods firing packs of money. You never know. Yeah, I know. I seen in without a paddle, he burned it. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so now we're going back to the without a paddle. You did. I figured I might as well go there. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Sorry. So I I also noticed you went more in detail. Heavily. I like this shit, man. I, I do too, but like you went really in detail. Mine is gonna seem like shit now, thanks. <laughs> you just see like the last two that I got people are gonna be like, really? You barely tried. And I'm gonna be like, you know what? Fuck you. It is what it is. Um So uh I wrote about the Mary uh Celeste. Uh so the Mary Celeste was a ship. And uh, on December fourth, nineteen or sorry, on December fourth, eighteen seventy-two, a British ship called the Mary Celeste was found empty and adrift in the Atlantic uh, Ocean. It was found to be seaworthy and with all its cargo fully intact, but it was only missing one lifeboat. Um, so what happened was in eighteen seventy-two, the ship had set sail from New York, bound for Italy, and uh, yeah, it. It was managed by uh, Captain Benjamin Briggs and seven crew members, including his wife and two-year-old daughter. Oh, yeah, she's doing a lot of helping. Well, you know, hey. It was managed by Captain Briggs and his two-year-old daughter. <laughs> aye, aye, daddy! <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, but they had enough supplies for six months. Uh, and even the last entry into the ship's log, like, didn't seem anything, like, astray. But yeah, no one knows what happened to him. Nothing. They just found the ship adrift. You left me wanting so much more of the story. But, but there's no nothing else to the story. They found the goddamn ship. It was empty. No crew members. Fully intact. Seaworthy. You could sail that bitch. Set sail. Go. Ready to go. You had tons of cargo. Tons of food. What you're saying is mint. Mint. <laughs> but no one to this day. No I've one knows what's. I've solved the mystery. Happened. What the kraken? Shocks. Shocks. They only bite if you touch their private parts. They had a two-year-old on board. She thought, nice animal. Touched his private parts. Thing flopped on deck. Ate everyone. Solved. But there would have Closed been some, the case. But there would have been some remains. There was no nothing remains. left. Shark ate it all. He didn't take a shit until they got in the water. There would be blood or something. No, Don't tell me. Hole. You son of a bitch. You're telling me if a shark ate someone, there's not a bit of blood. I like how that's the problem. That's the part you have a problem with. I said he flopped on deck and, and ate everyone. And you're like, there would be blood if he flopped on deck. <laughs> if a shark flopped on deck, there would be blood. 
anyway, but there was no remains, no sign of struggle, nothing. It's like they just, obviously, one lifeboat missing, so they just got in the boat and left. Like, no one knows what happened. So there was only seven of them aboard? Yeah, seven crew members oh. for the vessel. So for some odd reason, they just abandoned ship. Everyone, yeah, but the ship was perfectly fine. Still able to, like, you know, <laughs> sail, everything. They just got up, left, left all the cargo, nothing. Weird. Never heard right. of that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it might be short, but it's good. <laughs> so the next one that I want to get into is one that's uh, it's interested me for years, honestly. This, this story is... It's not even the fact that there's, like... You know, like, a lot of these mysteries is, like, you can't figure out... Like, there's one, there's obviously one thing that had to happen, right, for this mystery to take place, and there's one answer. This, there's, like, a thousand answers, and you could you could think about it for the rest of your natural-born life and never figure it out. It's the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Figured it out. Shocks. <laughs> no. They went somewhere. Lost. Lost. Forever. Anyway... <laughs> So the origins of this mystery, which is actually one of America's oldest unsolved mysteries, can be tracked back to August of 1587, when a group of 115 English settlers arrived on Roanoke Island off the coast of what is now uh, North Carolina. Later that year, it was decided that John White, the governor of the new colony, would sail back to England uh, to gather fresh supplies. They, I guess they brought a bunch of supplies with them, and as they colonized, they had run out of good, you know, good shit. Yeah. So they needed to, what, what? As you keep going into this, I keep thinking how shitty mine are. Oh my god. <laughs> so, just as he arrived back to England, a huge naval war broke out between England and Spain, and Queen Elizabeth called every available ship to confront the, Spani the Spanish Armada. August of 1590... White finally returned to Roanoke, where he had left his wife, daughter, and infant granddaughter, who was actually... The infant granddaughter was actually the first um, American-born of their whole clan, whole family. Three years later, because he, he hadn't meant to spend that long, but the naval war broke out. Three years later, he returns, only to find no trace of anyone. Absolutely no traces, no, no nothing of 115 people, his family included, that were supposed to be here, and now they're fucking nowhere to be found. So it's just like Atlantis. Yeah, but the island wasn't missing, just the folks. So... Could we blame it? We could, but we won't. <laughs> Was there a well? <laughs> yeah, we got 115 people down a well. Anyway, so... Not only did he find, like I said, he found no one, but he found very few clues. The only clue that was left uh, was actually carved into a wooden post that was left outside the colony, and it just said Croatoan. Uh, and, I mean, not great of a clue. Yeah, the investigations were launched, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, back then, I guess, there was not much of an investigation launched. It was just this one guy looking for fucking everybody, you know? <laughs> That what? Imagine if you had like uh, Officer Doofy back there. Like that would be your luck. That one guy. Well, you're not here. <laughs> They're obviously not here. Case closed. So, it, but the the investigation has never stopped. It still goes on today. There's still people out there that they de devoted their whole life to trying to solve this fucking mystery. Uh, so nothing nothing has ever been found. Uh, it's it still continues to this day. Like I said, no one has came up with anything. So Croatoan, 
the only clue that that gave them was it was actually the name of an island south of Roanoke that was home to Native American uh, to, to a, Amer a Native American tribe of the same name. And a lot of people speculate that the colonists were actually abducted and killed by the Native Americans. Uh, some people say that when uh, White, John White, did not return because he wasn't supposed to be gone that long, that people uh, were worried or they had no supplies or whatever, so they tried to sail back to England and either A, got lost at sea, or B, were attacked by the Spanish Armada. That was, you know, there's a huge Everywhere. war. You know, there's a huge war. So th that could be what happened. Uh, you know, people also thought that maybe they had gone further inland and had, had been absorbed into a bigger colony, so they weren't called Roanoke anymore. So maybe that was, you know, the guy couldn't find them. I mean, like I said, it's it's in the 1500s. It's not as easy to fucking call up your friend and be like, hey, have you seen my fucking wife? You know, like... They didn't have messenger crows? <laughs> I don't know. Man, I should. You know what I mean? So anyway, no one really knows what happened to all 115 people, and the lost colony of Roanoke will probably be the lost colony of Roanoke for the rest of eternity, and no one will ever know what happened. So the aborigines, like, were they cannibals? Well, I don't think I want to just come out and say that they were cannibals, but... I mean, it's it's a quite possible thing because, I mean, they were moving into their land and settling it. And, I mean, history shows us that people coming and taking your land is grounds enough to fucking, you know, do some crazy stuff. And back then, honestly, meat is meat, so... Yeah, you you never know. Like I said, it could have been anything. That's, what, that's what's so interesting about this. There's so many theories and there's so many possibilities, but no one will ever fucking know for sure. You know what I mean? No one's ever going to know for sure what happened to these people. There was a big investigation launched in, like, in the 2000s at some point where they were trying to collect DNA for, like, from people that could be ancestors to the Lost Colony of Roanoke yeah. to maybe figure out, like, uh, maybe where their ancestors, like, if you found my DNA that was located to my ancestors and then found my ancestors that were possibly in such and such of area, you could say, you know, oh, that's where they were, but nothing was ever found from it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, but wouldn't you have to have DNA from the lost colony of Roanoke? Well, I mean, you would be able to find ancestors through DNA, right? So, I mean, you can go back. Yeah, but if they're lost, they wouldn't have any ancestry. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, but they, but they would because they, if they were to have kids, but that's what I'm saying. If it wasn't that they all fucking were murdered, and they moved somewhere or they went somewhere else, then they would have colonized and had kids, and those kids, but they maybe they just. You know, like, they were never found by specific people that wanted to know where they were. Oh, they, okay, I got what they, you You know said. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It could have been passed along. Yeah, no, they died. <laughs> They're all dead, <laughs> Noel. Sharks got them. Sharks. Oh, Well, moving on to my next shitty one. Thank you for, once again, yeah, getting the upper hand on me. You were, you were giving me guff because I was writing pages of stuff. I was like, the whole, the whole life and story of D.B. Cooper, I see. <laughs> I really was. So, my next one is Area 51. Area 51. Aliens. Aliens. Solved. Well, no, hold on. So, uh, okay, like, pretty much everyone knows about Area 51. But, uh, it's in southern Nevada and is a U.S. military base that was actually... The very existence of the base was not confirmed until 2013. Until all those fucking nerds wanted to storm it. No, that and, was... And get shot. No, that was the other year. I know, but that's what I'm saying. 
why the fuck would you storm a military base? Yeah, but seriously, no one knows what's going on there. The only thing that is really said about the base, it is for developing and testing experimental aircrafts. And they have around-the-clock guards. That's what I'm saying. Why would you have around-the-clock guards and so much shrouded mystery around a place that just does airplane testing? But here's the thing, too. Even the people that work there can't drive to the base. They gotta get flown in on a private plane. I assume they would straight, have to live straight to the base. I would assume they'd have to live on site. But like there, there were so many theories about it, like aliens, like fucking. Everyone thinks UFOs. that's where all the mysteries are. Well, yeah, they think like that's where they filmed the moon landing, everything like that. But no one knows anything about this place for for something that exists, and you can look and fucking see it. Yeah. No one knows. It's weird. Yeah, like I said... Maybe I that's where the Lost Colony of Roanoke is. <laughs> They're in Area 51. Yeah, like I said, if it was just experiment... Now, I would understand that, like, if they were doing experimental testing for planes for the military, that they maybe didn't want plans or, like, designs getting out, then it yeah. would be it would be in their best interest to keep people out. But shrouded in this much mystery and around the... Like, yeah. I, I don't know. And especially for this long... Yeah, like, and maybe maybe it's like a big long running joke now. It might be, <laughs> but like you can't even go past a certain like there's a sign you can't even go past, and you're either getting shot or arrested. Yeah. So, like, what is the deal with this place? I would really like to know. It would be interesting to be able to get in there and take a look around. It really would. You would never get out. You, if you if you like okay, let's say if you had a genie, would you use that as your one wish? One of them. I think I'd use my one wish to be able to solve any unsolved mystery. So that way you would be able to yeah. find out what's in area. But I would also be able to find out all the other mysteries. See how I don't waste wishes like you? <laughs> Once again, you're just trying to get the upper hand on me here? Like, what is this? We've done like 45 of these episodes. You know how it goes. I have to win. God, you're such an ass. But, uh, yeah. For for something that has existed this long and that no one still has a clue about. There's even documentaries of people like who used to work there and left and they now it can't be confirmed, but they're like they say like, yeah, there's like aliens and shit like that there. Like yeah, well, anything. I'd say that too. I, of course they're gonna talk about that shit, but like really though. But if they really talked about that, if there was anybody actually out there spewing real information about that, they'd be you'd never hear about it because they'd be dead. Yeah. They'd be fucking dead. Oh, hundred percent. I don't care who says what. If there's actually somebody out there that tried to spew real information about the contents of Area 51, dead. Do you Now, here's my thing. Here's what I'm curious about, though. Do the president know about Area 51? Like, once they get, like, you know... Once a new president comes when, in, you mean? Do he get updated on Area 51? Yeah, but there's so many things that, that is, like... You know what an NDA is? So they're above the president? Think about an NDA on super steroids. That you can't, you you are not allowed. Like if you're a president and then you talk about secrets, yeah. But you know what Trump is like and what fucking Twitter. Like imagine. What <laughs> <I mean>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Right? He'd be a loose cannon. Maybe that was one of the exceptions. To be like, we're not telling Trump about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Trumpy. I'm not telling you shit, Twitter boy. I don't know. There's a lot of people out there that have these crazy. Imagine being one of these people that has this secret and you know you have to keep it. Like, there's no possible way of getting around not keeping this secret besides I, death. I wouldn't be able to do it. Right? That'd be so hard. <laughs> like, don't tell me any secrets. Like, I'd wait till like, I've lived, like, a good, like, you know, good <laughs> life. Yeah, but then you look like a crazy old fuck on his deathbed. Yeah, but no one's going to believe you. Not if you have proof. What proof are you going to have? You think you can do it? You think if I'm looking at a fucking 
Area 51, I'm not taking some sort of proof with you, me. How, how, you, there's no way you'd ever get away with it. You ever heard of a prison wallet? Give me that. <laughs> oh, boy. Before I get into my next one, I actually want to say, when you were talking about the uh, the Mary Celeste, yeah, about their logbook, another shout-out to Mr. Ball, and I was, I was, did you watch the one about Eileen Moore? The mm-hmm. island with the lighthouse? Uh, no. So in there, this is a weird thing to get into. It's an unsolved mystery. I mean, I mean, it's not having anything to do with what I'm going to say, but it's an unsolved mystery. There, so there's this island, and people had to go out there, and they man the lighthouse. There's nothing else on the island. It's just, like, these steps that go up to the lighthouse, and then the light, and it's just, like, sheep and the lighthouse. Yeah. So the only people that ever go out there are, like, sheep herders that go to, to deal with the sheep. That's it. And then the lighthouse keepers. And they're interchanged every, like, three or four months. Yeah. So they go out there and they live for three or four months and they keep a log of every day. And they watch the sheep. Right. Yeah. And they do, you know, they, they, they man the lighthouse and that's basically their entire existence. And they do their shepherding. So they get there. Yeah. Uh, actually, a ship rolls in and it says the lighthouse was uh, unoperational. The lighthouse wasn't on, which if people are there, which they know they are, is not supposed to happen. So they, uh, it's it's about time to switch out people anyway. So they send... They send the new crew and this captain out to investigate one and two, switch the crew out anyway. So they get there and the dock, when they get there, the dock is supposed to be always maintained and kept in case anyone else has to come and uh, moor off and yeah. get to the island. It's not kept. Then every other time that anybody's ever been there, it's always the courtesy that the people would come down to the dock to meet them, help them unload, carry, tie off the ship, all the things. No one comes down. And this where the dock is you can see the steps so they're watching as they're coming up to the island and there's absolutely nobody coming down and they're like okay it's kind of weird so the captain he's like getting ready to like dock up the ship and tie off and get all the supplies and shit ready so he sends one guy up he says go up check on the lighthouse see what's going on up there like you know just see if there's anything wrong he goes up the stairs and as he's going up the stairs he's noticing that these big steel railings like huge steel railings as they get to the top are all warped and bent, and they're all fucking, like, just, it's all beat up. It looks like a massive, massive storm has blown through and absolutely demolished, like, p- portions of these railings. Like, stuff that could not be bent by, like, a human. Like, you, you you couldn't bend it. Yeah. So he gets to the lighthouse, and he walks in, and then there's, when uh, they come in, they always hang up their oil gear and shit like that, right? So he looks, and two hooks are empty. There's supposed to be, like, three guys out there. Two hooks are empty. But there's still like a, a set of oil gear there that's and there's they go in and there's food on the table and you know the place doesn't look like it's uninhabited. It looks like people have been there, but there's no one there. They look around the ship and there's no one there. Or the they don't look around the ship, they look around the island. There's zero people there. So they have to keep a logbook every day. So the dude reads the logbook and like it's all pretty normal, pretty normal. Then all of a sudden, uh in I can't remember what month it was, but it'd been December at some point. It says a uh, huge storm blows through. Uh, the crew is scared. They're praying. There's like all this weird stuff that's going on. It's a the biggest storm that's ever hit Eileen Moore, and they're like, "Whoa, fuck!" And then it keeps going. It's like big storm, big, like huge storm, like steel is blowing down. Like it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Hurricane. Right. So that's what they're thinking. They think that maybe it got rough. They went down to go to the docks to take care of it because they thought someone was going to come in. Maybe a wave came up and took them out to sea because no one's there. Yeah. So they think that's what may have happened, or they were like looking off the cliff or whatever, and a wave hit. Whatever, they figure a storm took them out off the island, took them out to sea, and killed them. Have you ever heard of the term sheep in wolf's clothing? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> people in sheep's clothing? Yeah, well, no. Sheep ate the people. Jesus. 
So anyway, they ended up going back and uh, they left the people there and they were trying to, they figured that's what happened. They figured the sea took them and that's what happened. So they go and they end up at an island that's just across from Eileen Moore. And the people that live there, like, you, they look right across at Eileen Moore. So if there's a storm, people can obviously see it. It's covered in fog and, the, you know, you can see the waves and it's, I mean, it's not far. But the, the people were like, on these dates, the dates here that in the logbook they say was the worst storm to ever hit Eileen Moore... We were, we can see the island. It was the clearest conditions that you could ever have at Eileen Moore. They, they could see parts of the island that you could only ever see in perfect conditions. There was never any storm that blew through there. So maybe the people there would just got sick of being shepherds and was like, you know what? I'm tired of looking after this damn light. It was packed up the ship and just. Yeah, but there's why they wouldn't write in the, they wouldn't write in the log like that there was a huge storm and people were scared and crying and. I mean, grown men. The, the dude that was there that they said was crying was known to be like one of the best sea captains of all time. Like he was, he grew up on the sea. There was no way that he should be scared of a little storm. Anyway, that's not in my book, but I just thought it was a pretty crazy story. Yeah, just up me again. Thank yeah, I'll up you again. Yes. <laughs> um, and there's also a Mr. Bowen does a episode about the biggest. Most proof, most witnessed UFO alien abduction. Did See, you watch that one? Uh, I think I did. But I, I like the ones where like he talks about... Honestly, I'm a huge Bigfoot fan. I love when he talks about Bigfoot. I never watch any Bigfoot ones because I'm... Yes! Never mind. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the one that I want to talk about, my last one that I want to talk about, is actually one that I... I didn't hear any Roanoke or any DB on Mr. Ballin. But this one I did hear on Mr. Ballin. And I was listening to it the other day. And it's very interesting. It's very strange. So it's the disappearance of Lars Matank. Uh, Lars Matank is a German man born February 9th, 1986, who disappeared on July 8th of 2014 near Varna Airport in Varna, Bulgaria. He was vacationing with, uh, I think, three or four of his friends at the time. They were staying at the Golden Sands Resort. They were there for like a week, I think, or so, and they were just supposed to go and have a great time and get away and just enjoy themselves, which they did for the majority of the trip. So the way that the story goes is apparently they were at a bar one t one night and they were watching a soccer match. And apparently Lars was rooting for one team and there was like a group of drunk people there that were rooting for the other team and they ended up getting into like a small disagree like a small fight. The goddamn Jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they ended up getting into this small fight. Nothing really came of it, but they ended up getting into this small argument. Lars and his friends left, you know, it's not that big a deal. Was so, he called, sorry, was he called the tank, Lars, Lars the tank, because he was fucking like... That wasn't in his story. He wasn't a big gentleman either. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so anyway, um, Mr. Ballin, I don't think I even wrote it down, but Mr. Ballin had, uh, had told the story where like they went to uh, McDonald's, I believe it was, one night. After, after this disagreement at the bar, one night they were at McDonald's, and uh, Lars didn't want to go in. He was going to stay in the car. So they all go in, all of his friends go in, and they come out after a while, and Lars is not there. So they kind of find it strange, and they wait a minute, you know, like, you would wait, obviously. But this he's a grown man, right? So they figure maybe he got tired of waiting, he walked back to the hotel, or he went sightseeing. He met a girl, like, anything could have happened. This is a grown man. We're not going to sit around and wait for him all night. We'll go back to the hotel, we'll probably see him later on tonight, or we'll see him when we get back, or we'll see him in the morning, whatever. Yeah. So they get back, and he's not there. And they wait, you know, a while, and, and he doesn't show up. So anyway, they wake up in the morning, and um, he shows up. And he says that a bunch of, a group of men showed up, and were trying to take him away, and they were fighting him. They, he, what he thinks is, 
the people that he got into a disagreement with at the bar had hired <clears throat> this group of thugs to kick the shit out of him. And he said he had got hit in the ear and his ear really hurt. So they didn't think much of it, but they said maybe you should go to the doctor to get it checked out. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor actually said that, yes, you have a perforated eardrum. Right? So he, he said, uh, we'll give you some... He actually wanted to give him surgery is what he wanted to do, but Lars didn't want to get surgery in Bulgaria. He was flying home pretty soon anyway. He figured he could get it when he got home. So he said, well, we'll give you these antibiotics. But he said, what I, want, what I will tell you, though, is that you should not fly in your condition because the pressure change in the cabins could blow your eardrum. So he kind of thinks about it for a minute and he says, well, yeah, no, he's right. So I'll stay a bit longer. So he tells his friends, no problem. Like they were going to stay with him. But he's like, no, guys, it's fine. Go home. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll fly home in two or three days. Everything will be fine. So he gets a room at this other small hotel. He goes to the airport with his friends. They fly home. He goes to the hotel near the airport. So I think he was ended up talking to his mother on the phone, and he was asking her about this prescription that he had been given, the antibiotics, because he, he felt paranoid. And even his mother on the phone noticed that something was off about him. Like, he was he just seemed paranoid, and he seemed afraid, and he said, like, these people were trying to get him and everything, right? So anyway... Nothing comes of it. She's like, okay, well, I'll talk to him tomorrow. He's coming home tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. So he goes to the airport, um, and he goes to see the medic at the airport just to clear up that he can fly, everything's fine. So the, uh, the medic gives him the clear, yeah, it's all good to fly. So then here's where it gets real weird. So there's actual video footage of him, and he comes out of this medical office, and he just starts like jogging he starts running and he does not run into a gate he runs out of the airport and then not only does he run out of the airport he starts cooking down the street and there's like cct cctv footage and you can see him he's running up the street and then he takes a turn then there's a huge barbed wire fence and he scales this fucking barbed wire fence like it's not even there he leaps over this fucking fence he lands on the other side he runs into the woods and that is the last time that he was ever seen or heard from ever again. People thought that maybe the medication that they had gave him had maybe had a psychosis break or like some kind of side effect. He never actually filled that prescription, so he never took the medication. People think that he had like a mental health break or something. There was no evidence of that. There was no, I mean, the only evidence of that was his paranoia that he had never really experienced before. But there was no history of medical, mental health issues, no nothing. And, he, I mean, his mother said that when he was on the phone, he did sound afraid of these men that were supposedly after him or whatever. But there was no evidence of them ever existing. The only evidence of that was that he did get hit in the ear and perforated his eardrum, but no one ever knows if it was from a fight. Um, but, yeah, he fucking hops this barbed wire fence, takes off into the woods. Last time anyone's ever seen him. Ever. The only thing that was ever uh, kind of came of it was, a, like, a while later, a trucker had picked up a man and dropped him off and then he had seen Lars's photo or something and he said oh like he vaguely looked like the guy that I picked up he's like I can never be sure but it was never confirmed so there was not even any confirmed sighting sightings of him after that he runs into a forest in Bulgaria and never to be seen again that's really weird man like yeah what, what? couldn't he go around yeah. the barbed wire fence no, it was, like, the, the fence spanned this whole, it was huge, and he just, he, it's like he didn't even fucking see the fence, he just went up and came down, that was it. But the video footage is crazy, like, you can see him, he looks scared as shit, he looks terrified, and he's just running, he runs out, he doesn't pay any attention to anything else, he fucking runs out, he runs straight, hits this fence, up, down, gone. Maybe they drugged him with something, like... Maybe, but I mean, 
he he obviously went to the doctor. You think they would have found it there, or you, maybe after? I don't know. Maybe they were threatening him. It could have anything could have happened, really. Yeah. But no one, no one ever knows, and no one has any evidence as to this point. I mean, this that was in twenty fourteen, right? So. Uh, and nothing's been found out yet, hey. Yeah. Huh. Well then. Uh. Well, once again. Uh, to follow up to a great story, here would be a shitty one. <laughs> Uh, so mine is about a dog killing bridge. Well, <laughs> a, little, a little sad. But my heart, um, my puppies. You wrote dog killing bridge. <laughs> you sick bastard. It is a dog killing bridge. Oh. So anyway, the uh, overturned bridge near uh, D- uh, Dimbleton. What's that now? Dimble. I believe it's Dimbleton. D- yeah, the, I can't read your handwriting, so I wouldn't have a fucking sweet clue what it says. Take a hike. Uh, the overturned bridge near Dembleton in Scotland has been the site where over 50 dogs have jumped to their deaths. And hundreds more have jumped but survived the 50-foot jump on the jagged rocks. You're a sick fuck, sir. <laughs> what? It's weird. Just hear me out. And the Scottish Society for the Protection and... Protection of cruelty to animals has investigated this weird location, but nothing has like come to it. You know how you would protect animals? Take down the fucking bridge. Yeah, or bung it off. Put up a fence. But like, that's the thing. What kind of sick fucks here's about thirty dogs jumping off this bridge and wants to risk it? Hey, I think I'll take my dog for a walk. See what happens. You dirty whores. You ended this on a terrible note. <laughs> It wasn't meant to be a terrible note. Thank you. Dogs are jumping to their death. But hey, this is the thing. It's some weird anomaly. Like, for that, like, okay, I can see one dog, two dog, three, even five. I'll be like, okay, that's a little, like, I solved this shitty. mystery, too. What? This is the fucking bridge where people go to get rid of their dogs that they are over and they're sick of their shit. They're like, oh, oh yeah, one or two dogs jumped and people thought it was weird. Now I'm going to, oh, I have to get rid of this sack of dogs that I have here, sack of puppies. Oh, the bridge made him do it. I solved the mysteries. People are terrible. You're sick, sir. I'm not sick. Dog throwers are sick. Dog throwers are sick. The man punted Baxter. But any... I solved all yours. (laughs) I hate you so much. But... There, there's no explanation to it. Like, there's that many dogs have jumped, and that, but there's even accounts where one, like, some dogs have jumped over, survived the first landing, and then went around for a second jump. Yeah, that's because the guy threw him off, and he's like, "Oh, for fuck's sakes, he, he made it! Come here, boy! Dogs are loyal. They're gonna come back." <laughs> I don't think the dog would just give him the boot. All right, well, it's done now. But. For there to be that many cases of dogs showing up, it's like there's got to be something weird there. Yeah. Sick fuckos. I'm telling you that's what it is. I'm telling you right now. I solved that mystery. The other ones I was fucking around, I really solved this one. Some fucking grease bag wanted to get rid of his dog. You've seen what they do to dogs. They leave them in garbage bags and fucking throw them in water. And I feel so bad for puppies. Right. They do terrible shit to dogs. Now, my dog, bit of a shithead, and I thought about pushing him off a bridge, but I never would. <laughs> I never would. 
So these people get sick of their dog shit or whatever happens. Oh. And then they go to this bridge, fire him off, and be like, he fucking jumped, man. It was, I don't even know. And then other sickos took lead. Yeah, I don't know. I think I solved that one. I really do. I think this is the bridge where dog throwers go. Oh. They shot put a poodle. Yeah, that's an image for you. Go to sleep with that tonight. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> well, as always, folks, uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you want to keep up with the Insta- with uh, our podcast, check out our Instagram, Intertwined Minds. Or uh, send us an email at intertwinedminds94 at gmail.com. Uh, don't throw your dogs off don't, bridges. Don't throw your dogs off bridges. And uh, never get into any kind of competition with uh, <laughs> Skip here. It never goes well for you. It's not a competition. Everything's a competition <laughs> with you. <laughs> As always, I'm Tommy Ten Tits. Uh, and before I say that I'm Skip, I want to give another shout out to Mr. Ballin. He really did inspire this episode, and I've been watching a bunch of his videos, and I encourage you that if you are any bit interested in the weird or mysterious, you know, or unsolved mysteries, any of that stuff, go check out his, either his, uh, his Instagram, I don't know if he has Twitter, he might check it out, look for it, he has TikTok, he has YouTube, check it out, I promise it's, it's great. I'm sorry for letting you down, Mr. Ballin. I'm a <laughs> shitty storyteller. <laughs> and as always... I'm Skip, and come on back next week and hear about the time that we attempted to run a decathlon naked.